So I just want to invite you, if you have your Bibles or your electronic devices, to turn with me to John chapter 14 is where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 14. And we're going to look at this issue, this subject of the resurrection and what it means to us and, and what it means for us and the confidence that we can live in, in in the world in which we live. And so Jesus, moments before or night before that he was going to be crucified, he got to get the, the disciples around and he had a conversation with them. And he told him these words in John chapter 14. And here's what the scripture says. John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. We'll read all the way to verse 6. And here's what the scripture says. Jesus looked at his disciples and he told them, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come, and ag come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Then Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we, how can we know the way? And then Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one, no man comes to the Father except through me. And when I read that verse and I was reading that group of text or group of verses when I was getting ready for this message, I asked myself a question, and maybe I'll ask you that question as well. What commandment? What commandment do you think is the most difficult one to, to keep? I mean, some will say, you know what, that commandment of thou shalt not lie. That's a hard one because if you're in a difficult spot, if you're in a tight spot, sometimes it's, sometimes it's so easy to exaggerate or sometimes it's so easy to, to stretch the truth just to make it easier on yourself. There's others that may would answer that question this way. Well, I think the hardest commandment to keep is that, that commandment, thou shalt not covet because we live in such a materialistic society that sometimes it's hard not to, to see all the wealth and the, and the resources that are around you and not become jealous maybe. Some may would say, you know what, I think the most difficult commandment to keep is maybe the, one of the ones that Jesus said, to where we should not lust, because we live in a, such a sexual society, sometimes it's difficult. Some might would say, well, you know what, for me, it may be the one in Philippians chapter 2 when Paul said, do not complain. Because, you know, there, there's some people that believe complaining is like their spiritual gift, right? And, uh, and it's just hard for them not to complain, but... You know what I think is the most difficult commandment to keep is the one that says, do not let your hearts be troubled. With the society that we live in, the things that go on, the economy, wars, rumors of wars, uh, struggles with children, the election, everything, that's, it's just like nobody can get along. And, and right now, Batman can't even get along with Superman, right? I mean, with the times in which we live, it seems like it's hard just to not let your hearts be troubled. And that's why I've entitled this message, No Trouble. To where you understand what the resurrection means to us and for us, then we can live a life differently. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm, I'm prone to worry. I'm prone to worry. And, and you know what? I have conversations with myself in my mind about the what-ifs. You know, what if this happens? What if, what if the economy tanks? What if, what if I get cancer? What if, what if they end up in an accident? What if the Cowboys don't go to the Super Bowl again this next year? 
And so maybe you're like me. Would you just listen one more time to the words of Jesus when he said, do not, do not let your hearts be troubled. I think if we could walk away today with just a renewed sense of peace in our hearts, this would be a great service. This peace that hinges on the fact that Jesus has risen from the grave and He's provided a way for us to get to heaven and to go to heaven. And we know with confidence, we know where we're going. Keep in mind that Jesus spoke these words to the disciples just a, a few hours before He would go to the cross. And He gave them reasons in this text why we should not be troubled, why we should not allow our hearts to be troubled regardless of what we go through. And so I just want to give you just three things that Jesus gave them for us and maybe we would walk away today with a renewed sense of peace. And so Jesus told them that you can trust Me with your future. And so the first thing that Jesus said that we can trust Him with our future is because of this is because Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. The truth isn't some idea. Truth isn't some thought. Truth is a person, and His name is Jesus Christ. And so when you look at Him, you realize His supernatural identity. John chapter 14, verse 8, the Scripture says this, said, Philip said to Him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to Him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know Me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? In other words, Jesus was not just an ordinary man. He was God temporarily making an appearance, a physical appearance on earth. Fact is, the Bible affirms over and over and over this supernatural appearance. It affirms that. It is birth. Matthew chapter 1, 23 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they should call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I mean, Jesus is the truth, and you can just look at his life, and you can see his impeccable integrity. Jesus was tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. I mean, Jesus as a little boy never, never talked back to his mother, never lied to his dad about where he had been, never cheated in synagogue school. And even as adult, he lived the law perfectly. I mean, he asked his enemies in a public saying, a setting, and he said, who accuses me of sin? And no one had an answer. Man, if I said to you this morning, who accuses me of sin? There'd be a long line. And my family would be in that line. But in the courtroom, Pontius Pilate, after examining all the evidence, he was the one that said, I, I find no fault with him. It was impeccable integrity. But it was also this miraculous power, John 14, 11 says, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. In other words, Jesus was saying, believe on the miracles. Jesus was the only one that could make the diseased well and the deaf hear and the demons flee and the dead come back to life. Fact is, there is a famous politician of Jesus' day that looked at Jesus and said, said that we, we know, we know you're the Son of God because nobody could do the miracles that you're able to do unless God is with him. You also can look at his sacrificial death and, man, the religious leaders of the day looked so irreligious compared to Jesus. So they, they developed a plan to have him crucified, to kill him. 
John 10, 18 says this. No one takes it from me. In other words, Jesus allowed it because I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. And the charge I have received from my Father. So He didn't die as a sad victim. He died as a substitute for our sins. And the Bible says that God laid our iniquity on Him. I mean, can you imagine that if if you're three months behind in, in your in your mortgage, and all of a sudden the, the banker calls and said, I, I would, I'd like to meet with you. And so you're nervous about that meeting, and you're concerned about that meeting, and the banker meets with you, and the banker says, you're not going to believe this. You have a very wealthy relative that has not only paid your last three months' mortgage, but he's also paid off your house. The house is yours. The title is yours. You'd walk away with a deep sense of love and gratitude, and we have had a huge debt of sin that we could not pay. But Jesus came and He paid the entire debt for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And it merits our trust and our love and our devotion. Listen, let me tell you this morning, nobody has ever cared for you as much as Jesus Christ has cared for you. We trust Jesus with our future not only because He's the truth, but the second thing is this, is Jesus is the life. Jesus is alive. You know, one of the interesting things, Jesus predicted his, his resurrection. fact is, 750 years prior to the life of Christ, the prophet Isaiah predicted the life of Christ, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and he went down into the details of what would take place. And Jesus Christ fulfilled them all, not only his prediction, but the prediction of prophets before him. It's an interesting thing about predictions. There's a lot of people that try to make predictions all the time, right? Last year, Warren Buffett, right before the NCAA basketball tournament, uh, set out a, a, a challenge, and he says, anybody that can have a perfect bracket, I will give $1 billion to. And so plenty of people signed up, and plenty of people went on his website do you realize within 31 hours of the, of the basketball tournament, nobody, nobody had a perfect bracket. But Jesus was able to predict His death and His resurrection. Jesus predicted the impossible. He said, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. And on the third day, I will come from the grave. And no one believed Him. Here's what He said in, in Luke chapter 24, 4, verse 1. He said, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices, they had, the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by, by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all of the rest. Listen, let me tell you something. If a man can predict the crucifixion and the resurrection and do it, He's certainly capable of handling any of my problems. 
He's certainly capable of handling any of my troubles. Uh, but you also can look at his present position. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 34, he says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The Scripture tells us this, that He is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, praying for us, interceding for us. Wouldn't you trust someone who is pleading your case before the Father? That someone is the person that said, do not let your hearts be troubled. When I was in elementary school, I... Uh, I, I was raised in East Texas. I'm from Texas. You may not be able to tell that from my accent, but uh, I am from Texas. And I was raised in East Texas, and East Texas is heavily wooded. And so by the time I was in elementary school, I, I, I developed a, a deep fear of, of the dark. fact is, it was kind of traumatic for me. Got to understand a little bit about my dad. Uh, my dad was a man's man. My dad was, was working oil rigs, and when he was at the age of 11, uh, he was a roughneck. He lied about his age, so he'd go to World War II. Uh, he was one of those men that just always quoted to me, the only thing to fear is fear itself, son. The only thing to fear is fear itself. And so I developed a deep fear of, of the dark. And so it was, it was beyond comprehension for my dad that he was about ready to raise a boy scared of the dark even though I was in elementary school. Now listen, uh, don't try this at home. My dad's not teaching any parenting classes at all. But my dad decided, you know what, he's going to teach his son to, to, to not be afraid of the dark. So my dad told me, said, son, every night I want you to take out the trash like you normally do, but I want you to take out the trash right before you go to bed. I, it has to be dark. And so this is like a traumatic experience for me. Every night we went through the same, same rhythm, the same stuff, and so, and so it, and it wasn't getting any better. So there was a night that came, and so I went out to take out the trash. I went out the, the front door. I made my way through the front yard, and on the side of the house there's just tons of trees, and I went through the same anxiety and fear, and I was making my way to the trash can. But what I didn't know is my dad snuck out the back door. And my dad went through the backyard, and my dad is hiding behind the trash can. Yeah, so I make my way to the trash can. I open up the lid, and as soon as I open the lid, my dad stands up, his head, hands over his head, and he screams as loud as he could. I scattered trash from the trash can all the way into the house. Fortunately, I made it to mom before dad did. I still never know what took place between the conversation between my mom and my dad. I just know they had a conversation. <laughs> but I can tell you what happened the next night. The next night when it came to take out the trash, my dad told me, he said, Son, I'll be walking you to the trash can every night from here on out. <laughs> and you know what? It was still just as dark as it always had been. But I had no fear because my father was walking with me. And I knew my dad was capable of handling anything that I was afraid of, anything that we would encounter on our way to the trash can. Jesus Christ says to you and says to me, do not let your hearts be troubled. I am 
with you. That's why the Scripture says in Psalm 23, 4, says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's a plaque that I recently saw in someone's office that is simply read, Lord, help me to remember that nothing is going to happen to me today that you and I cannot handle together. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I would go and prepare a place for you? When you look at this issue of heaven in, in Scripture, you realize that the Bible talks about many different metaphors for heaven, that it's the kingdom of God, it's our blessed hope, it's the, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb, it's, it's the wedding feast. But you know what? The title that I like the best, the metaphor that I like the best is this. It's my father's house. It's home. Now, if you grew up in a, in a good home and someone said to you after the Easter service that we're going to dad's house, that gives you a sense of security and acceptance and laughter and fellowship and food. When Jesus says, in my father's house, that should give you and I an, a feeling of acceptance and confidence and security. If you grew up in a dysfunctional home, the Father's house for you should give you an image when you will experience these things for the first time. And the Scripture says, in my Father's house are many rooms. And I love that phrase, many rooms, because I believe that there is a room reserved for me with my name on it, and that there's rooms reserved for other believers with their name on it. But what the Scripture says, but there are, there are many rooms. So are there many people who have a room in heaven also? Fact is, Revelation 7, 9 says this. It says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. And let, let me just stop right there and tell you, just a few weeks ago, I, I met someone in the community and they, they, they told me, they said, you know what? We would love to come to Fellowship the Rockies and we'd love to be a part of that church. We just think Fellowship the Rockies is way too big for us. Well, listen, you don't want to go to heaven then. It's pretty crowded there. <laughs> and from every nation, and from all tribes, all peoples, all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. fact is, the Scripture tells us that there will be many rooms in heaven. Ephesians 2.7 tells us, So that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Heaven is also going to be that place where He's going to let us look back over our life and He's going to show us when He was walking with us and how He protected us and how He loved us and how He gave us grace. There are many rooms in the Father's house, so do not let your hearts be troubled. The present problems that you're going through right now is not the end just like the crucifixion was not the end for Jesus don't let your hearts be troubled you're not home yet I will come again what Jesus said and receive you the last thing that I'd like to draw your attention to is why we trust Jesus with our future is because Jesus is the way he is not only the truth he is not only the life but Jesus is the way. And Jesus made this prom promise in John chapter 14, 3, and he said, 
He said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we do not know where you are going. How, how, can, how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And here's the sobering truth and reality about heaven that most people don't understand. Just from what Jesus says, the majority of people are not going to heaven. There's an interesting article that William, William Shatner, Shatner just did of Star Trek. Um, he, was, he was in an interview and, and they asked him about his life and his legacy and looking back over his life. And, and in, in the interview, he just, he just made the statement. He said, well, you know what, I, I'm, I'm scared to death to die. And the interviewer asked him, he says, well, why? He says, because I'm so afraid. He says, I don't know what this next life looks like, but I'm so afraid in this next life I will not be known. Because all of my life I've been famous. All of my life I've been known, and I'm afraid in this next life I will not be known. Let me tell you something. In Jesus Christ, you can not only know God, but you are known by God. That's the promise that we have as believers. There's a recent survey that was done that said 85% of Americans think that if you're good or if you live a good life that you'll go to heaven. That most people believe that if I just live a good life then I'll go to heaven. But your chance of getting to heaven by being good is equal to your chance of swimming from California to Hawaii on your own strength. Listen, let me just tell you, just so we're tracking, just so we're clear, that heaven is not for good people. It is for forgiven people. It is for people who know Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus says, I'm the way. And follow me. There's something about that statement, just I'm the way and follow me. In other words, I've been there. I know where I'm going. I don't know if you're like me. I, I, I love Lowe's. And I love hanging out at, at, at Lowe's and buying stuff. And uh, when, whenever I'm at Lowe's and, and there's that chance that I, I don't know where something is. And then the worker may be busy, and I walk up to him and say, hey, do you know where this is? And they just kind of give me directions, tell me, you know, aisle 31, 32, whatever, and it's down on your right halfway. You know what? That's not peaceful to me because, you know, I'm a man. I can't find anything. <laughs> but you know what? When, when I ask that worker where something is, and they look at me and says, oh, uh, I know exactly where that is. Let me take you to it. There, there's a sense of peace. There's a sense of comfort that, that I'm going to find what I'm looking for. And Jesus is not just given directions to a place. He's given directions to a place where he's been. And he simply says, just, just follow me. Just follow me. Jesus said to his disciples, there is a way to life after death. Just follow me. And he led them to a cross where he died for their sins. And they followed his body, was put in a tomb, and a stone was rolled against it, and Jesus was gone. And three days later, he comes back with nail prints in his hands. And he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Just follow me. No other religious founder can make that claim. Not Muhammad not Buddha. No one has come back from the grave except for Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the only one that can make that claim. 
Just follow me. Just follow me. I'm going to ask the worship team to begin making their way up to the platform as, as we just prepare to sing our last song, our last worship song. And as they're, as they're making their way up, I just want to ask you a question. How can you be confident that you're going to go to heaven? I mean, how, how do you follow Jesus? Scripture talks about that over and over. How do you follow Jesus? Just, just four things, A, B, C, and D. A, the first one is this, is you just have to admit that you have sinned and, you have se and your sins have separated yourself from a holy and a righteous God. For the Scripture says this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words of this, instead of comparing yourself to other people and just trying to feel good about yourself, why don't you compare yourself to the law, God's law, and you realize that you've broken the law. Every one of us, me included in this room, Romans 3.20 says this, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight. In other words, heaven is not for good people, it's for forgiven people. Since through the law, yeah, you can clap. That's something we should celebrate too. So the first step, you just have to admit. You just have to admit. Second one is this, just believe in Jesus Christ. Just believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that just whoever, just whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Belief is more than just some mental belief in Him. It's putting your faith in Him. It's putting your trust in Him. It's humbly, humbly asking Him to save you. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from your own doing. It is the gift of God. The C is this. Just confess. Just make a confession of Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Romans 10.9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. When Jesus Christ died for you and for me, He died publicly on a hill. fact is, it was the busiest day of the year. And when we accept Him, He just asks us, to confess Him publicly. When you got married, you stood up in front of a, a lot of people and you made a public confession to your mate. And it may have been uncomfortable, may have even made you nervous. But if your heart was right, you did it. Matthew 10.32 says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. And the last thing is this, just D. Just demonstrate. Demonstrate your allegiance to Jesus Christ right, by repenting of your sin and being baptized. Eight, Acts, eight, Acts 2.38 says, And Jesus said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance just simply means this, a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. Or now you've decided, you know what, I'll follow him because he's been there. And I can trust him with my life. I can trust him with my day. 
In fact, as Romans 8.11 says this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That nothing is going to happen to you that you and God cannot handle in this life. No trouble. Put your hope in heaven. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, and the only reason we ask for heads bowed, eyes closed, is just in such a large, large room, sometimes we're just so easily distracted. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever come to that place in your life where you've just admitted that your sins have separated you from God? To where you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? And then have you confessed Him publicly as your personal Lord and Savior? And then have you demonstrated that in a local church by following Him in believers' baptism after you've accepted Him? If you have never done that, I just want to invite you to do that this morning. I just want to invite you to nail that down this morning. And just in your own words, just, just have a conversation with Him. He, he's right here with us. And just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that my sins have separated me from You. But I believe in Your death, in Your burial, and resurrection. And because of that, Lord, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins and give me the gift of, a, of eternal life and that you just confess him. And then I would just invite you to demonstrate that publicly in a local church. And we'd love to invite you to Fellowship of the Rockies. Next week, I start a brand new series called Thrive. How to, how to thrive in life instead of surviving how to live life with no trouble because you know He's with you. Let me pray. Father, we thank You. Father, we thank You for today. And Father, we thank You for Your love and we just thank You for Your grace. Father, I just thank You for the ability to be able to gather around Your throne and just worship You and celebrate what You have offered each one of us. And so, Father, I just ask that your presence would be known to each one of us because we know you've been with us this whole time. And for those that accept you and confess you, Father, we just ask that you would lead them and you would guide them to demonstrate that publicly as they confess you as Lord and Savior. Father, we love you. We praise you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.